Welcome to the TFT Podcast. I'm Matt. That's Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Matt, I'll be your mirror. <laughs> I'll be your mirror. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with lick the thong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm, w- I'm waiting for the man. <laughs> which, uh, which, by the way, uh, or tongue the thongs. Uh, by the way, leather thongs, not, uh, you know, not the item of underwear, but, uh, maybe the, um, uh, maybe they're, they're related. Uh, we are talking about the Velvet Underground and Nico, uh, the 1967 Andy Warhol produced record featuring Lou Reed and John Cale and Nico and the other ones. <laughs> uh, hey, the other ones are uh, Mo Tucker. And uh, the other ones. <laughs> yeah, and the other one. And the fourth. <laughs> I think Mo Tucker is the drummer. Uh, uh, and, and uh, yeah, and the, and the fourth. We want to talk about, uh, yeah, I want to talk about that. So, um, yeah, that, that is the, the record that we are doing uh, now. So the Velvet Underground and Nico, the debut album of the Velvet Underground from 1967. Sterling uh, Morrison. Sterling Morrison. <laughs> there you go. You can tell how deep our research was. No, actually, we did a lot of research for this. Um, you can find it in a couple of different uh, editions. There's just the regular one that you can find on Spotify and the other services. There's also a 45th anniversary super deluxe five-disc set that you can find all five discs worth of tracks uh, on Spotify, which includes uh, stereo and mono remixes uh, of all the songs, as well as some um, stuff of interest from the time period, including the original acetate demo from the uh, original, uh, I think, four-day recording session that produced most of the songs on the record, um, as well as, I think, some live recordings and also Nico's first album, which was called Chelsea Girl, uh, which is of some historical interest. So you might want to listen to that. That's on the recommended reading list. The required reading though, is uh, the 11 tracks of The Velvet Underground and Nico. Uh, If you haven't gotten to them, uh, go listen to them now. Pause this podcast and go listen to them. And we'll be back after this message from our sponsor. Heroin. This episode (laughs) is brought to you by heroin. For that high that picks you up and lets you down heroin <laughs> and we're back i thought you were going to go with bananas for a second <laughs> yeah that's interesting because uh, it is uh it is it is kind of an advertisement for bananas and for heroin um, <laughs> um yeah do you have a place where you'd like to start because i have so many <laughs> <laughs> are that well i mean you, is the is the usual question uh is the usual question useful for us i mean these well, these velvets with their Andy Warhol and their exploding plastic inevitable and their drumming on the sides of garbage cans and their uh, sadomasochistic lyrics and their, um, uh, you know, unceasing drone, uh, you know, yeah, their, their viola. <laughs> I mean, is this is this a useful way to uh, is this a useful way to to. Uh, go down or I no, no here's here's how I want to start okay go because okay. I, I I have I have three or four that I'm when just going to randomize when, when I was listening to this I thought to myself aha I see now how we get from pet sounds to mm-hmm. uh, to punk rock right like this is this strikes me as and and it was a record I wasn't. Um, 
as familiar with. I mean, I'm I'm familiar with a lot of like Velvet Underground kind of greatest hits tracks, like I don't know uh, Sunday Morning and All Tomorrow's Parties and things like this. But and like uh, some of the later ones, like Sweet Jane or something right, like that. Sure, yeah. and uh, Pale Blue Eyes and and mm-hmm. stuff. But um. Uh, but I, I had never gone like album by album. And so I had, I had not really experienced this whole album all the way through before. And so, um, as I was listening to it, it was like, wow, this is really, this is an important, uh, inflection point. And I totally get what Brian Eno was getting at. Um, when he said that, uh, everyone who, who bought this album, which was kind of, uh, like had, um, historically low sales or sort of notably low sales uh, upon its original release. Uh, he said uh, it only sold a few thousand copies, but everyone who bought one formed a, formed a band. Right. You know, right? And and uh, overthinker Shana Belosky, uh, when when she heard that we were uh, covering this this week, uh, tweeted that TFT podcast uh, only has a few hundred listeners, but every one of them will start their own podcast. Yes. Uh, so so thank you, Shana. <laughs> so like I, Pet Sounds, nineteen sixty six, right? This nineteen sixty seven. I see a lot of the tributaries that flowed into Pet Sounds also. Uh, flowing into into this record, I hear definitely like '60s pop, uh, you know, and, and like maybe what shall we call it, like Phil Spector influence '60s yep. pop, um, flowing into this record. But something happens, and it's it's a function of the subject matter, or it's a function of the kind of slightly harder driving aspects of rock and roll that kind of. Uh, that develop on this record, something happens where that that sensibility is kind of diverted from being a an experimental sensibility applied to pop uh, being an experimental sensibility applied to rock music and going into uh, and and you can see all the way you can see all the way to the Ramones from here right. Yeah, no, I think that that's I think that that's right. Um, and there was a great quote uh, in one of the uh, secondary sources that we'll um, we'll put in the show notes uh, from the uh, the the little blurb that was written for um, when Rolling Stones wrote up uh, the 500 greatest albums of all time. Um, and this uh, clocked in at uh, at 13. Um, and uh, the the quote, the John Cale quote that they opened this uh, little blurb with is we were trying to do a Phil Spector thing with as few instruments as possible. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that that's really uh, interesting. And I, I, I thought about that as I was listening to this album. And one way that I think I... Uh, I would interpret that is that their wall of sound happens to have barbed wire and glass shards at the top of it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, uh, and, and that, that, that you have, um, you know, elements and, and, you know, within either within individual songs, uh, or, um, uh, or in songs as a whole that, like you say, feel like, um, that kind of, you know, brill building or brill building adjacent um, pop of the early '60s and and earlier, um, but then there are um, moments of the album uh, where you have where the drone takes over or um, songs that start in a, a rock mode. I, like the last song, "A European Sun," um, which you know starts as a as a driving you know rocking song and turns into a um, a very long uh, noise outro. Um, you know, yeah. and 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 so that you have um, a lot of these moments where the rock 
pop and experimental sensibilities um, collide and are and, and are sequenced in really um, in really interesting ways. Um, because like my question, one of my questions for you was going to be: Are the Velvet Underground a pop band? Yeah, I mean, and and I think the answer is no. I mean, I think the answer is no. I think they're a rock band, right? Hmm. And that hmm. and that like. The the thing that that makes me think that is the um, the blues influence, right? Huh, like yeah. th- there are a lot of because that's I, to me that's the lineage of of rock and roll is like is uh, you know African American music is like black music Delta blues, um, and that you can in that like uh, you know swung time. Um, it's actually interesting listening to this record and kind of counting what are the straight eighths songs and what yep. are the yep. what are the swing songs? Yeah, uh, and not swing in the sense of like jazz swing, but what are the the swing time songs? The yep. you know shuffle yep. time songs? Yeah, because the ones that are in straight eighths are in really straight eighths, right? Like I'm waiting for the man, uh, where you have basically um, it's all it's all eighth notes on the in, at the percussion side, right? It's all right it's like one of the few songs where you have straight eighths on the snare drum right you usually get the snare drum on the twos and fours um and so the the fact that you have just like this chugging eighth note um is 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 a really is really unique right that you have this um like chugging locomotive uh that i actually see like in terms of we're talking about the the roads that that diverge from here that also connects to the genre um called kraut rock as well um which we uh it wasn't actually uh, on the syllabus it's kind of a, a you know a mid-70s uh tributary that's kind of adjacent to some of what's going on in um in in punk and in kind of um art rock music uh is like bands like uh can and Noi, um, and and to an extent, Kraftwerk, uh, that are known for this kind of motoric sound that is uh, was you know trying to evoke the sensation of driving on the autobahn um, and this kind of re- repeated um, rhythms that go on long and long and go on for a long time. And so, some of the the straight eighth songs, um, I see some of the DNA of that um, trend of seventies music uh, as well. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, but so I think you're, and, and, and in terms of the connection to, um, blues, I think you're absolutely right because weirdly, I mean, when we were talking about, um, Dylan last week, you know, we, we talked about how we had not, neither of us were Dylanologists in any way, or really had spent, um, any time with either of the albums that, that we discussed. Um, and for me, the, and I think I mentioned this, um, the album, uh, the Dylan album that really got me, um, hooked and then made me really dig into the rest of the discography and figure out which else, uh, which of the earlier stuff I wanted to, to discuss, um, was Highway, uh, 61 Revisited. Um, and, Part of what really struck me about that is that it actually reminded me in ways of the Velvet Underground. Um, and there's other ways in which it's very different. But I think that, um, you know, because this album, um, I I definitely had spent less time with maybe some of the secondary material. Um, but it's an album I've listened to a lot. Um, and uh, over, over the years, um, that said, not with kind of the sitting down with lyric sheet and sitting down with the um, kind of my TFT goggles, uh, my TFT goggles on, uh, but, uh, um, or my TFT jeweler's loop or whatever it is right. that, <laughs> that, that one puts on uh, to, to, uh, to, to, to dial in um, my toolkit. Anyhow, uh, 
and and so when I was listening to 60, um, 61, I actually was really surprised about the ways in which it was um, a lot closer to the Velvet Underground than one would um, suppose. And it's because, like, I think that I associate, you know, the uh, Velvet Underground as being rock and experimental and um, and in that corner and in, in this kind of in the Andy Warhol corner of the 60s. Um, and I, you know, one imagines Dylan as being in this folky, earthy uh, qua- uh, corner of the, um, of the of the of the 60s. And I guess that maybe there, there's if the, I, and I think that at least just in the way that the albums sound that that revealed to me that there there maybe there's a false dichotomy there um and i think that it, and then you know when you read a little more about the context um you know <laughs> it, it, the the geography of of where these were happening in the scenes are more overlapping than one would suppose and i think they they didn't run in the same scenes necessarily but they weren't totally separate either you know it's you know dylan was in the west village and 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 the warhol people were you know around union square yeah. so it's a it's a, a narcissism of of small differences um uh, possibly i don't know what did you what, uh, what do you think about that kind of um and then also there's like the connection in singing style and this kind of sp- uh, you know, Sprechgesang singing, uh, talk singing um, that both Lou Reed and uh, Dylan use. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't, did you see any connection really, there? I mean, that's really interesting. What I w- what I would say about it is that the 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 addition of a European, I mean, like Warhol's involvement and the addition of a European in the form of Nico and that kind of that sort of refined or sort of precious quality that it get that her accent. Uh, her natural, you know, accent when speaking English gives the the um and any affectation layered on top of that. Sure, <laughs> right, right. I'm I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what the layers of affectation are, but it's you know, I don't know. She's German, right, and and so would yeah. have an accent speaking yeah. uh, speaking English and sings with it, like unlike I guess a lot of uh, non English speakers who sing in an in an American accent. Maybe that wasn't a thing. At the time, though the Beatles had already done it, I guess um, the uh, you know that to me like layers on a uh, layers on another another layer of of art music. So like I, right, I would right. say we're that, not on we're not on Highway sixty one anymore. Yeah, right? no, we're not. We're on we're on uh, you know the uh, the autobahn. Or, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean we're. Uh, uh, we're in the fast lane from New York to Berlin, right? Right, right, <laughs> right, right. New York to London to Paris to Berlin. Wir right. sind fancy. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, uh, yeah, right. So that's my, uh, I mean, that's my feeling. That's my feeling about it, right? Like that, that Dylan is still, even, even when he goes electric and even when the, the kind of the role of the, the composition, uh, or I mean the sort of the assertiveness uh, of the compositions about their own originality comes to the fore, comes to the fore more than it, than it did on Freewheelin', right? Where, where even the original songs seemed like, uh, seemed like instances of types of songs, original though they were, you know, um, like Hard Rain's Are Gonna Fall is a ballad and there are a lot of ballads kind of like it with that structure, uh, in, in, 
in English verse. And I mean, I mean, right. like going, going a long way back in poetry, there are, there are things that kind of resemble that. Um, the, the fact that it's, you know, even, even on highway 61, when the compositions b- become a little more, a little more self-conscious about their own originality, about their own kind of individualism, you don't have anything like the, um, this sort of bespoke quality, right? And by that, I mean both like, I, be, I mean both sort of handmade and also kind of luxury goods status, uh, right? Of, of the, the, uh, this first Velvet Underground record. Well, and also, I think interestingly, um, and just kind of looking at, um, the, the, uh, the the little blurb on rap genius for uh, femme fatale uh, also a little bit of a um made to order quality um and that uh, femme fatale is described um at least by the um the the genius uh, the velvet underground genius uh who contributed to this um or the editor i don't know what their structure is um exactly but that femme fatale was written at andy warhol's request uh, as a tribute to Edie sedgwick um and so that there are some elements of this um, where there are, um, you know, elements of things being requested or suggested uh, or cognitive agendas being set. Um, and that's not to say that there, um, you know, there is a very, there is a very strong um, creative vision of, you know, really kind of the driving uh, vision uh, of uh, John Cale and um, Lou Reed, but then um, also a lot of um, individuality in each of the performances. Um, and, you know, even though we were talking about the other ones, um, there are definitely, you know, some songs where the, you know, the drums really stand out as being very interesting where the bass um uh, stands out as being very interesting like especially on uh european sun um but that said that there are these moments of you know thinking about you know uh, if there's another kind of um bespoke quality it is there is a little bit of kind of um playing a role in a larger machine right of being a machine in in a factory right uh, in in the warhol factory sure um and you know that some of the things that they did in terms of their um participation um and in in the exploding plastic uh, inevitable um and even just you know the fact that the cover of the album doesn't have the band name on it it has andy warhol's name on it yeah. Um, that you know that there are elements of it being um, a a bespoke art product in that way as well. Um, the yeah, also the sort of the interactivity of the cover, right, where you can like peel off the banana sticker. You know, I don't know something something like that. It's sort of designed as an experience rather than just as sort of a wrapper, as a container yeah. for the the medium on which the you know the songs uh, are going to be delivered on. Right. Yeah, there's, well, there's I, a oh, lot sorry, in, go ahead. In the Wikipedia stuff, uh, you can find references to sources where they talk. Um, I think Lou Reed or John Cale talk about uh, talk about Warhol's role producing it, right? And and though he got the producer credit, uh, he didn't do the album engineering. And there, right. it's it's also clear that the members of the band who were you know uh, really strong 
musicians and sort of very strong artistically in their own right had a lot to say and there were other people involved kind of as producers in terms of like guiding and shaping the direction of the sound right. Uh, right. whereas Warhol was apparently I mean according to the sources I read pretty pretty hands off but the claim that a lot of these thing these people made is that Warhol w- produced the record in the sense that he enabled it to be made mm. and that he more also, like a movie producer right yeah yeah that was the that was the comparison right that that like it's uh I mean, there are different kinds of movie producers from more to less hands-on to people who are just kind of money people to and deal makers to people who are there on the set every day. But he was not, he was just, uh, I think he funded the thing. And then also because of his name, right, the, the band were shielded from a lot of, uh, uh, outside influences that would have forced them, uh, perhaps had they been just on the on the commercial market, uh, would have forced them to to take a lot of things in a different direction. Right, a lot of the more alienating and confounding uh, aspects of the album um, wouldn't have made it. You, you know, right on a on a major label release, you sure. don't, you don't you imagine right. Um, so that so though I mean there's a little bit of straw manning there right like we, it, that has that has to do historically with imagining that like we're more enlightened than than people in the past were and oh those big bad corporations back then you know now we have the internet and can listen to whatever we want um, yeah I'll I'll bet you're you're but and yeah, we can listen to whatever we want and so we all listen to fancy you know and problem and kesha and uh well this week we all listened to weird al's new music videos but but uh so warhol was a producer in the sense that he created the conditions in which uh the artists could work right could be right. could be sort of uh and sort of could be left alone i like this definition very much because i think my, of myself as the producer of overthinking it in this in this respect, right? Like, that is to say, creating a space where people can write what they want or, you know, I don't know, record what they want and, and things like this. So it helps to stoke my own grandiose fantasy uh, to, you know, hear these grandiose things said. Well, then, about... then you, need, you need a factory then. <laughs> a big loft where, where unspeakable acts take place. <laughs> uh, I hear properties cheap in Detroit. Excellent. Yeah. OTI, uh, OTI, OTI factory. Motor city. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's, it. but the other thing that he gives it though, right? Like, is he gives it, um, the sort of luster of his, of his brand. Right. right. And like, and like, it's worth talking, I guess, a little bit about branding, right? Like branding literally is like cattle brands, you know, the hot irons that you, uh, that you heat up and that you burn cattle's skin with cow's skin with so that they know, so that you can tell in like big herds of cattle, which ones are yours because they have your, uh, symbol literally burned into their skin. It's, it's sort of unpleasant when you think about it, it seems like torture. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's the, the origin of the word. And it's in general for separating out, um, you know, a particular manufacturer's commodity from, 
from just a just a uh, an undifferentiated stock of that commodity. So right, you could have like just in your ye olde general store a big barrel of flour, and then flour that was a particular brand of flour. That's you know like right. the the Pillsbury flour that you don't just like scoop out of the. I mean, we don't have in supermarkets. We don't really have like tubs that we scoop out of anymore, except in artisanal supermarkets where they're like painstakingly recreating an old experience. Uh, Which know, will soon old- be all supermarkets once again, right? I <laughs> it will. It will. It will all be artisanal. Right. Um, the uh, uh, you know, uh, so a brand is it differentiates. Uh, uh, a particular manufacturer's goods from from just commodity, undifferentiated, fungible commodity goods. And so the idea is that it's better, right? The idea is that the branded product is better. Uh, the brand is a promise about an experience that you're going to have, right, when you use the when you use the product, right? And I right. and I think it's it's sort of um Appropriate in that sense that Andy Warhol's name is on the uh, is on the uh, front cover of the album because this is the Andy Warhol brand rock band, you know. Right. And well, and I think yeah. that that's interesting though because then there is a just to kind of go one step further. Then there's an a, there's kind of this meta branding that's going on, right? Because so much of Warhol's um, art uh, and you know especially the early pop art stuff is precisely. Uh, um, interrogating and working in this area of uh, of branding, right? It's the Campbell soup can soup cans, um, and the and the and then as he kind of transitions from the soup cans or Coca Cola, you know these kind of brand, um, you know iconic uh, brands to um, celebrities. It's a similar thing, right? Where the Warhol brand. Is also essential is is on the one hand distinctive and on the other hand ubiquitous, um, and so I think that and so it's actually really interesting that the thing and you know and he has a background um, you know a lot of uh, from what I I know um, had a background in in commercial um, you know art in in in, uh, in advertising uh, art um, and so that th- there's a lot that's there uh, and then we, you know we talked actually interestingly about things being bespoke but so much of um, you know Warhol was really in thinking about um, mass production and and in actually kind of um, really thinking about um, uh, questions of kind of artistry and uh, and and kind of authorship when things are mass produced or co produced, uh, right? So that it, when you're when you're engaging in sca- uh, screen printing uh, or or other kinds of mass production, um, you know what does it mean to be a a genuine a, a real Andy Warhol, um, right? And so that um, and so I think that the in addition to producing this. Um, then again, you know, like you say, having his name there and and this this banana, which is interestingly on the one hand both a stamp of the Warhol brand, um, and then and then yet is also a a thing that grows on a tree, um, and 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 so there's you know and so that uh, and even um, you know is is designed as as you say to to be peeling off and to to mimic aspects of um, of a banana um, really starts to get to a lot of these. Uh, you know that um the 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 questions about reality and artifice um uh that that uh we talk a lot about on this podcast are obviously you know questions that um that warhol was asking um and that the velvets were asking um and so that they're they're in some ways they're um 
yeah, it, this is in some ways a perfect uh, TFT album because it is a um, it, it's a it is always a foundational text because uh, these were questions that were on you know is this for real um, is is a question that if not uttered in those exact words uh, was you know very much um, I think on the concerns of of this of this scene um, and and the layers of kind of artifice. Um, and and uh and and reality um are are there and in, in um i think is is on some of these songs and is there in some of the other uh, the the body of work yeah i i mean first things first it's the realist it's right <laughs> the the um so i'm gonna put in a, in a show notes a uh a link to uh the uh, uh a copy of the essay by um uh, from 1936 by Walter Benjamin called The Work of Art in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction, hmm. uh, which was originally uh, written in German. And it's about, uh, it's about the value of art um, and, uh, uh, and, you know, with the ascendancy of Hitler at the time, it, the, uh, the idea was to produce um, a theory of art that would be, and here's the quotation, useful for the formulation of revolutionary demands in the politics of art. Um, and, uh, and talks about the value of the work of art uh, in, in the age of mechanical reproduction being, being based on, on politics. But I, I sort of wonder if there isn't... A, but what he's what what Benjamin is talking about is unselfconscious mechanical reproduction things like things like prints that were designed to be prints or sort of photographs right. that were designed to be photographs and he sort of has a foray into um sort of mass art mass spectacle uh mm-hmm. the kind of the art of of fascism but but by the time you get to Warhol and and I'm, I'm going to link this up with noise rock also in a second, um, this this practice has matured to the point that it kind of enters a Baroque phase. It's it starts to to yeah. take itself as its subject, right? Right. And you could say that um, that consumerism is uh, the subject of of Warhol's early pop art. But you could also say that that the means of reproducing art, the means yeah. of producing and mm-hmm. reproducing art is the subject of, of Warhol's own pop art, right? There's a point that seems to happen in every, uh, in every art form where it enters a highly self-conscious phase where um, the, the means and constraints and practices of the actual art making become the subject of, of the art, right? Just like every podcast is about podcasting. Yeah, I mean, it's not not about podcasting, right? In in the same way that, like, that you know, in the twenties, um, I guess, I guess, uh, post World War One, more specifically, because it it like uh, was in nineteen twenty one when the Wasteland was published, somewhere around there. Um, the uh, the idea of uh, literary modernism was that, you know, uh, we were going to become extremely self-conscious about sort of meaning making, right? And about the kind of the fragmentary nature of texts and about the uh, the kind of the wide range of, of influence. And like, rather than try to paper over all those cracks, we're going to uh, foreground them and have a, you know, have a literary art that is at some level about um, the process of creating literary art, and yeah. and I sort of I wonder if that isn't 
the case with noise rock also, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Rather than mm-hmm. using electric instruments uh, as a way to sort of mimic the function of acoustic instruments only louder, right? Like we have these things, right? Like we're inducing current from the amplifier, right? The, and that the electricity coursing through the instrument or coursing through the pickups anyway, has, you know, has an effect on, uh, on the sound. And you know yeah. what? If you move the guitar close to the amplifier, something starts to happen. And when you're recording on tape, the tape has certain, you know, has, has certain qualities. And like, we, you know, this happened in the art world with, uh, with music concrete. And it happened with like, uh, I, you know, I am sitting in a room and, you know, where, where we, the, the actual, um, and this is why I think Jack White and, and Neil Young over the last, uh, like, uh, uh, two weeks ago and three weeks ago, respectively, um, or three weeks and two weeks ago, respectively, are are interest are interesting to us, right? The idea right. of doing doing vinyl and kind of making the uh, making the specific, you know, sort of irreducible um, unique qualities of of vinyl, uh, a sort of subject of the work, and also kind of a partner in creating the work, right? Like right. When, once right. you have a, a um, you know, a lot of that, that trickery on the, on the Jack White album, um, on Lazaretto with the, the double groove, with the locked grooves at the ends of the album, with yeah. the, the records that spin in opposite directions, uh, with the stuff that's, that's like the under label groove. Um, you know, once you have that, you have a, a situation where the, the medium is not just a passive delivery mechanism for something that we might call content, right? That yeah. is, uh, that is the actual real main event. You have a situation where the content is uh, is embodied, as it were, is instantiated very specifically and and kind of uh, un oh what's the word I want that in a way inextricably from yeah. from yeah. the medium uh, that is delivering the content yeah. to you. And that like I think with this with this sort of motion with this sort of movement toward noise rock and and i'm going to connect it to one more thing and then and then toss it back to you but with this movement towards noise rock um you're you're seeing uh electric you're seeing electric instruments being sort of explored for their intrinsic and as um uh, you know, rather than as simply louder cousins of their uh, of their acoustic of the uh, you know uh, analog acoustic instruments, and I think also in the lyric writing, right, the idea of sort of making sexual deviancy or uh, drugs or you know stuff uh, stuff that's very current in at this point in the '60s is as, as like uh, you know the sexual revolution is happening and uh, drug use is coming to the fore. In the mainstream and uh, you know all this stuff um uh making that the subject is sort of uh is sort of an attempt at sort of making uh making a music that is made of the materials of mm-hmm. the cultural life of the times yeah right rather than this kind of notional idealized life yeah. of you know of brill building pop you know where it's uh, "Will you still love me tomorrow?" Which is right. this sort of, uh, you know, idealized, abstracted, um, 
situation, right? It's like, no, I'm on 125th and Lex, you right. know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> right. I'm waiting for, Hey, white boy. Guy. Hey, white boy. What you doing this far uptown? Yeah, exactly. Right. Like stuff, stuff that actually addresses the, you know, and th- this is, yeah, I, you're a well, long way from both the, uh, the Brill building and Tin Pan Alley, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or right. Or the factory or, or the factory. Yeah. yeah. This is, um, so I, I mean, I think that this is like, this is interesting to me art historically. And I think this is also what makes it such a really, uh, a really strong album is, is that it's an attempt to grapple with the, the, uh, the actual experience of, you know, the actual experience of the people who are, who are making the record. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right, and I think um, that so what the last thing that you said um, about the the lyrics, right? So um, I, I, what I, if I was going to jump in, I was going to say exactly that that if there is an element of kind of self conscious meta rock uh, uh, instrumentally in terms of exploring um, electrification and um, and the various elements of um, of the medium uh, and and the actual recording and and playing technologies and 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 playing with that the other way in which it is meta rock is that it is about you know the the other part of the production of rock music is is right it's sex drugs and rock and roll right, right? and and so it's meta sex and meta drugs and meta rock and roll um and that that like there is a a sense of um you know that you know on the one hand this is like what's going on at this uh period in terms of um counterculture uh sexual revolution but you know there's a sense of you know it's not that you know, it's not that sex, drugs, and rock and roll were invented in the '60s. It, they just became talked about a little more, um, and and so that you know, in going to the um, you know the history of rock and roll, that you know there, there's a sense of um, of of this is this is there. This is part of rock and roll uh, and and part of whether this is you know the those who are, are are drawn to rock are also drawn uh to to heroin and and to um and to to various levels of sexual exploration or this is you know that that you know the certain amounts of kind of you know freedom and expression uh in those domains then lead to 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 rocking that there is a, a sense of this is the you know the the rocking the rocking life uh and so that uh and it, and it expresses and explores these in a way that's not you know a a kind of cliched way right we're we're still i mean it's interesting right so in terms of another um you know tributary that uh comes off of this at a certain point this kind of you know, reflection on, um, on, 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 on sex and drugs on, on, it's not exactly, I don't want to call it hedonism exactly. Uh, cause it's in some ways almost the opposite of that, but the, the, the kind of frank discussion of it and, and awareness of it, um, weirdly is a also ancestor of like hair metal <laughs> and, and, you know, that, uh, you know, that, you know, um, you know, I, Brett Michaels was also waiting for his man. Well, Brett Michaels had a guy who had to, who waited for his yeah, man exactly for him. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. I'm waiting for my man. Who's waiting for my man. Right. right. Uh, I mean, it's fun. I mean, it's funny. It's, it's a different kind of myth making and you can't, I mean, there's song lyrics. You can't get away from myth making. Right. Um, like, uh, but like, um, you know, shiny, shiny boots of leather or, uh, 
uh, t- uh, you know, ermine fears, uh, furs rather adore the, uh, uh, I can't speak English. Um, uh, ermine furs, uh, that adorn the, uh, imperious woman, uh, you know, the, uh, the, um, I could sleep for a thousand years. I'm just reading, uh, you know, shiny leather, um, it seems like this song really spoke to you, right? Because you've, you've quoted it several times. <laughs> it does. I mean, it's, yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, just, I'm saying this is like, you know, that I like, I, 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 like, I, let's, let's dig into If we're going to start digging in, let's, um, like, yeah. Uh, I want to sort, well, sort of, I want to dig into this at the same time as, as Femme Fatale, right? Because okay, I think yeah. they, I mean, I think that Femme Fatale is a little. Uh, I th- is a little more um, friendly, slightly, but it, they, they both kind of paint a picture of the woman as being kind of like fearsome and uh, potentially destructive, right? Like um, in in uh, in Femme Fatale, it's uh, it's. Uh, uh, you're put down in her book, you're number 37, have a look. That is to say, you're not even a person. You're just a sort of numbered conquest to her. Um, what a clown. You know, she's going to smile to make you frown. What a clown. That is to say, she's not smiling because she's happy at you. She's not smiling because you've made her laugh. She's smiling sort of imperiously uh, in order to make you feel uncomfortable. And and you're a clown, right? Like, you're not... Uh, uh, you know, you're sort of emasculated. Uh, the next lyric is little boy. Um, she's going to play you for a fool. Uh, yes, it's true. Um, compare, right? Like in, in a way, uh, you know, she's a, and she's a femme fatale, like literally fatale, literally, literally fatal woman, right? Like the, right. the, the wages of being attracted to Edie Sedgwick is death, right? The, um, the though I suppose the wages of being Edie Sedgwick is also death. The you know uh, there's not there's not a lot of hope. Um, there's not a lot of hope. It's it's sort of it's a sort of jaundiced it's sort of jaundiced uh, jaundiced view of of relationships between the sexes. But it's it's also sort of. It's also sort of compelling, and it's it's more specific. I mean, it's better, I think, because more specific, sort of than like I got me three women, red blonde and brunette. You know, right. it's that that still partakes in a little bit of the, um, you know, a little bit of the kind of the folky, uh, you know, the folky universality. Whereas this is this is somehow somehow seems more concrete. Maybe because a uh, a lot of the the images, a lot of the kind of the references in the figurative language uh, are to things that are a lot more mundane, like, you know, what a clown or she'll put you down in her book or, uh, you know, um, false colored eyes or things like this. These are sort of cultural references of the moment rather than being like North Country Fair style references right. where it's well, like, you know, uh, uh, where they're the, the they're bound up in metaphor so much. Right. Or it feels like a portrait in a way, right? Yeah. That, you know, and, and a, it still may be a kind of stylized portrait, um, but in some ways there's there's elements of it being a um, musical analog of some of, um, of war 
Warhol's portraiture, right? Um, and that that there is kind of a a specific person that's being drawn. Um, and so, right that that um, that I mean, it, it circles back to the discussion of brand of 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 the specifics matter, right? It's not just a. Com- com- I mean, it's a weird thing because there are other senses. Yeah, I mean, I like think there's undif- a undifferentiated commodity right. blonde. Right, right, right. Um, but at the same time, I, mean, I think we, we may get this as we go on. There's, I think there's a lot of um, anxiety about that, right? I feel like the inverse in some ways of um, – I, I guess I, I want to talk about um, Venus and Furs as well. But then I feel like some the flip side of this concern uh, on uh, Femme Fatale is uh, all tomorrow's parties, um, right, of, of this, you know, what costume shall the poor girl wear to all tomorrow's uh, parties? Um, Right. And that, um, and that, uh, in this one, the girl who, um, you know, who, who, uh, does not have the right costume, um, who has yesterday's gowns, uh, and Thursday's rags, um, then becomes Sunday's clown. Right. And so there's this interesting flip side here of, um, of, of really, you know, the, the, um, anxiety of not being the commodity blonde, um, and, and that, you know, this, and this kind of inexorable march of, of time and there, that there's only, there's only so many weekends, right? That, I mean, and, and we could talk more about this, but I mean, in this song, I mean, I, I never, this was one that, um, for me really opened up, um, cause I, it's a song I've known well, um, and there's, you know, the, um, uh, all tomorrow's parties in addition to there's a music festival that takes its name from uh this song and so i've kind of is you know i'm familiar with it on that um you know line but you know in actually listening to it right that that, that basically you know this she's like nico and this song is a grim germanic rebecca black right that um you know that yeah yeah it might be friday 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 but really like once you get to sunday you're a clown (laughs) um and so that the interesting repetition of clowns and the kind of of being a clown uh is is really interesting in that it recurs in these two songs but is kind of gender flipped in the two Müssen wir am Freitag tanzen? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, this is uh, this is an interesting constraint to operate under. I'm not sure I could operate under this kind of pressure, where you you essentially had to throw away your clothes after wearing them once, right? Right. Uh, you know, like where where you know because you have an image to maintain, and part of that image is. Uh, is this this sort of modernist dictum to make it new, right? You kind right. of have to be new all the time. You have to have new. You have to have new clothes, right? You're in the once you're in the novelty business. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know. You live by the like. You live by the novelty sword. You die by the novelty sword, right? Yeah. That was the, one of my other questions. Was is the Velvet Underground a novelty band? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I don't know. I don't think so, right? Because I think there needs to be, in order to be a novelty band, I think there needs to be a certain element that has to do with, um, 
that has to, a, a certain element of pastiche, right? Like hmm. you have to be trying to to ventriloquize someone else or ventriloquize a a genre, right? And that's true of all of as the, opposed to actually just having your um, Germanic mannequin, your your Germanic dummy that you can actually just ventriloquize with, right? right? Exactly. You write the words and she sings them for you. Like as there's 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 like basically um, like vertical ventriloquist vertical vertical integration going on, right? That that uh, weirdly, I mean, I think that it's not that there's not novelty aspects here, right? That there are, especially like there's, I mean, the album is, it's not the Velvet Underground. It's the Velvet Underground and Nico. Um, and I think that there are elements of the, the Nico songs and Sunday Morning that actually feel like a kind of... N- that one could argue, especially kind of in the context, have this kind of novelty, kind of novelty pop kind of, um, you know, another uh, quote uh, says Lou Reed um, during uh, had worked as a kind of Brill building or Brill building adjacent songwriter and described himself as a poor man's um, Carol King. So there's one element where there's a little bit of a novelty of, huh. you know, I mean, in the same way of, um, of Chromio being like, huh, we're doing, you know, we're doing this, um, you know, smooth rock r&b thing huh. but we but i but i have a um an english degree or a comparative literature degree there is a little bit of uh huh we're doing um we're doing this uh either pop music uh or we're doing this uh, this, this kind of girl groupy thing um but we are obviously way smarter than that um so there is a little bit of that but that I think what is interesting, and this I think connects to my early question of is the Velvet Underground a, a pop band? I think that at a certain point, you know, again, that at a certain point, a lot of not very many people got the joke if there was a joke. Uh, it, it, uh, um, and weirdly, it went from being there, there being these novelty elements to it then. Um, and, 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 and again, I don't think it was entirely a novelty record, but there, there are elements of that there, but then get kind of elevated for some reason or, or another, whether it's, it's association or with the other elements that are kind of, I mean, it's an interesting question of how do you, you know, with all of, for every kind of, um, song that is a kind of winking pop song there's another that is just you know either a um a rock song or a a noise song so that the album itself is not a um is is not a novel is not a novelty even though there are elements of novelty there um and i imagine that in people trying to you know at the time identify figure out what to make of this band um you know novelty is possibly one lens with which to approach it um and i don't know so so i think that there's more novelty here than um than meets the eye yeah that's interesting i mean it's it's definitely path-breaking i mean we talked to we talked about this a little bit when we talked about chromio like doesn't all music want to be novel and at, at what right. line, i mean uh, there's something though i mean novel is an adjective novelty is a is a noun right like right. there's there's something about be, uh, being novel and being a novelty you know that that uh uh, where I'm not, I'm not quite sure where the line is, but it, uh, I, you know, maybe it's like the court's definition of obscenity. Like we know it when we see it, you know, that, right. that we know novelty, uh, 
we know novelty when we see it, right? The, though the and and like well, I this also, is the other piece is that novelty is context dependent, right? That we we like looking at a um, you know more than you know a, a uh, what forty some year old uh, album. Um, are are not going to see it as novel right that 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 there's a lot of novelties in the eye of the beholder and that itself um inheres in a kind of specific context right yeah i mean yeah uh sorry i cut you off though you thought you were finished i mean that's that's right. I, I, I was just the, the last thing I wanted to say was that there was a, the, I want to preserve a space for kind of humor in, in music. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Not yeah. like, co- not comedy per se, not like humor, haha, but a, a, a sense of like playfulness and fun. Um, uh, something that I think Tune Yards has, right? Like, for example, right. just of, of uh, music we've done recently, uh, which is good because, like, that that subject matter would be such a drag, um, <laughs> right, without it. Even, I mean, even, like, I don't know. Uh, you want to talk about heroin a little bit? Yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about it. Um, one, of, one of my other questions I was going to ask is, is it possible to write an anti-drug song? <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I, the, this connected in an interesting way um, to, uh, to our conversation. It made me think of our conversation that we had about the needle and the damage done um, when we talked about Neil Young two weeks ago um, and, and, and our kind of reading of the line um, about every junkie is a setting sun, right? right? And about the kind of beauty um you know the 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 kind of this tragic beauty um that is part of 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 the you know the phenomenon of uh, addiction and and death and this is a very different take on on well, this addiction. is a, this is from the point of view of the sun as it goes down right you know right I mean? yeah, like, yeah 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 and actually as it sort of continues <laughs> don't let me don't let the me go down on me <laughs> right <laughs> uh, there she goes again <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was thinking about this, like I, I, one of the interesting things to me, like the drumming, this is a song where the drumming was like really played a big part in my, in my experience of the song. Like the fact that it's not, I don't know what exactly the instrument was, uh, that was being used. Um, but it was like a, a floor tom with a mallet. Yeah. Something right. Sure. Um, or like, I know that another thing that got played was like a bass drum on its side with a mallet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's something, I mean, it's something like that. It's something done kind of addressed. It's a, it's, uh, if it's a standard it's a, instrument, it's a, it's a trash a, can. Yeah, sorry. It's a trash can and a hanger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You always gotta, you always gotta, uh, remind me that I, I have work to do, huh? Um, the, uh, the, this thing, that would be a, an inspired choice of percussion instrument. <laughs> <laughs> um <Come on. laughs> we have to uh uh yeah um the the uh the drumming doesn't quite match up with the guitar uh on the yeah. on the accelerandos and the and the slowing down you know it like uh, the, and on the other one <laughs> <laughs> on the other one day day cellarando <laughs> Um, the, uh, the speed ups and the, and the slowdowns. And it's, I mean, it's what I interpreted it as I sort of allegorized it as like, uh, as a heartbeat and like thoughts, you know, and like the, the body and the mind, um, kind of having this, this related, but distinct experience and really like, 
uh, really like sort of experiencing that that sort of disjunction of like where are the thoughts going and in the lyric of the song, um, you know, uh, right? Like it it um, uh, it's funny. Like a lot of the song, a lot of the song lyrics are kind of actually from an outside point of view. You know, um, are describing this stuff in the third person, like uh, when it shoots up the dropper's neck. When I'm closing in on death, you can't help me now, you guys. Like when that happens, as opposed to it's happening now, and the music gives the sense that that I'm I'm really high on heroin, but that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the music gives the sense that it's happening now, and yeah, sort of yeah, yeah, and sort yeah, of creates yeah. this experience. I mean, I wonder. Like that is a that's a provocative question about an anti-drug song because I think one of the mu- one of the things music does that it's celebrated for is it alters your state, right? It sort of alters your your perception and your state of mind and you know your relationship to yourself other people in the world and that's uh these are qualities also like uh attributed to drugs especially you know um uh you know i don't know especially sort of mind expanding drugs you know Sure. Or, or uh, I mean, this isn't like a psychedelic record, but it, I'm thinking like especially like psychedelic drugs because I have the yeah. 60, I have the 60s on my mind. No, uh, but no, I think that, I think what, it's interesting though about the drug use in this world that this seems to be a world more of uppers and downers, yeah. right? Rather than psychedelics, this is this is um, again, it's 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 the uh, excellorandos and decellorandos um, in your vein, <laughs> um, and uh, and uh, that you know, I one thing that struck me uh, when I was reading some of the. Um, the 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 background uh on like the warhol scene the superstars in the factory uh was it it was mentioned a few times that you know the drug of choice in that scene um were were amphetamines right were were uppers um and so that um kind of i i think that that is actually uh interesting right that ra- what's being expanded and contracted is time rather than like space right that if 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 a psychedelic is about expanding kind of inner space Huh. Um, that that really you are trying to expand um, with with and, and you know the, 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 I guess the disclaimer this is a straight edge person talking about drugs um, so um, uh, just you know uh, take that with that grain of salt um, but like it strikes me that just. Um, in some ways, part of why I'm um, able to talk about this all is what is the um, is is the experience of, um, of 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 listening to the song of you you know the other thing that's happening is expansion and contraction yeah and and so that um, and and the sense of speeding up and slowing down um, and that there being more and more spaces in between and that I think actually connects interestingly with. Um, Going back to something you said very early on about you know straight eighths uh, versus versus swung patterns is that uh, you know a characteristic of, of kind of more swung rhythms is that there's a little more space in between um, and and uh, there's 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 um, there's there's room and so that. Um, and so I think that this kind of playing with with time um, and with with kind of other borders between you know uh, you know kind of 
internal divisions with that the kind of order the world around you is a lot of what's going on in this song um, and elsewhere, right? And it's even just like, you know, the the line when I'm closing in on death, yeah, makes me think of the um, it, it, what it makes me think about is kind of the um, like an like an, an asymptote, right? Like kind of approaching something asymptotically, yeah, right? Um, and that that because he's not saying I'm dying. Um, but he's closing in on death, right, right? Right, and it's just getting as close to that line without going over, right? Um, you close. I mean, you close in on something that you're you're pursuing, uh, right? You know, not necessarily to overtake, but to sort of capture, right? To right, sort of catch. right. And there's, I mean, there's maybe that's a uh, a line between the the drug songs and the and the sex songs, um, right? That there is this sort of drive to to self-annihilation, right? Mm. There's this drive to abjection and to sort of kind of extinguishing, uh, to extinguishing the self uh, somehow, right? Whether it's like to like let the light go out and let the sun set or like get as close to the sun setting as as possible. Yeah. Um, Or, you know, or the kind of sadomasochistic annihilation in Venus and Furs, or, Mm -hmm. you know, she's gonna, she's gonna make you frown, you're a clown, uh, you know, uh, your, your beat, she's gonna play you for a, for a fool, and, and, uh, and stuff like that. I mean, like, that there, that there is this thing that, that, (laughs) the, the thing I was like, um, I, and there's an aspect, I mean, it doesn't get this self-indulgent on this record, but you can sort of see the way to emo from here, can't you, right? Like, yeah. You can, you can sort of see the way to kind of wallowing in, in this this misery or this yeah. this suffering that is fantasized as beautiful. I mean, this is this is like the the like a vast like mesa of of rock of of like rock music, right? Yeah. That that you you can really see in every direction from here. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's striking. Um, and we, we, you know, uh, and, and, uh, and it's, it's really, um, and it, it, it's hard to know whether it's that everything drew from this or that they just happened to encapsulate, you know, that they grabbed all of the threads, um, and held on to them, and then other picked up other people picked up individual threads, right? Um, and it's, it's you know the the kind of the direction of 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 causality is is tough to trace. I mean, people talk about this being an influential album, being central, but even I feel like right, even even people who have never heard this album are influenced by it. Sure, <laughs> um, and th- in that it, like they capture so many of the other um, musical cultural artistic threads that are going on um that there there is again we talked in ways about um dylan's prophetic um aspects uh and it would that have much more to do with um singing style lyrical style um and kind of relation relation to um social problems um but that this is prophetic and i think this is uh, some of the uh, reviews refer to it as such um because they managed to grab lots of things that are not going or that are going on um and then several things either through the grabbing or through the mashing up uh and combining and juxtaposition several things that have not yet um um happened um and and uh and are really um connected to a lot of of different directions so it, it again it, that's part of what makes this um so so striking and yet 
because it is so prophetic, um, it, it's, it also makes it easy to, um, even take for granted you know just on a casual listen you're like you know uh either through the the big hits um or even just through the album um it it doesn't hit as hard as if you really kind of again dig in with your with your toolkit and then you start to say wow this is like we can get to anywhere from here yeah uh so if uh, if you our listeners want to dig in with your toolkit the, the way you can uh you know show us your tools two three for is uh, to tweet us at TFT Podcast and follow us on Twitter at TFT Podcast. Uh, we announced the uh, we announced this record um, beforehand, which I think is the first time we've done that because we're we're pretty well organized at this point. We know we know what's coming up, so we're going to make announcements of the upcoming records on Twitter so that you can listen to them uh, over the weekend. Um, we, and, uh, and also we, you know, just have a steady stream of articles and things like this, uh, that are interesting. If you share our concerns, the, if you have a TFT hammer, uh, if you share that with us, uh, one about luxury, good consumers and their value to brands, uh, and brand tourists and their value to brands, uh, recently in our Twitter feed that you might find interesting. Uh, you can also leave a comment on the show notes for this episode, um, we're going to be back next week with more TFT podcast. Uh, until then, thank you, Ryan, and thank you for listening. It's been real.